And as you can see, we're in a series called How to Study the Bible. And this month, we've been looking at a simple acrostic that kind of guides our steps in studying the Bible. And the acrostic is SOAP, S-O-A-P. S reminds us that the Bible is really scripture. It's God's word, and we ought to study it. The O in the acrostic speaks of observation, that when we read the scriptures, we need to slow down and observe what we're reading. Particularly, we need to observe the context of what we're reading. Today, we're going to focus on the A in the acrostic, which stands for application, because we don't just read for information. We read for transformation that happens as we apply the scriptures to our lives. And then next Sunday, we're going to look at that letter P, S-O-A-P. And we're going to talk about the importance of prayer when it comes to studying the Bible. Well, today I want to talk to you about application, hearing, and doing the Word of God. You see, there's a danger when we divorce hearing from doing. There's a danger of divorcing hearing the Word of God from doing the Word of God. That's really true in many arenas of life. There's a danger if we don't let hearing lead to doing. Back in March of 2007, I read a news article that has just stayed with me all of these years. It was about a fire that broke out in a senior adult nursing home in southern Russia. And sadly, the headline read that 62 residents lost their lives. As I read the article, I discovered that this was a two-story nursing home And fire had broken out, and it took a while for the firefighters to show up. One of the local neighbors said that when he saw the flames, he ran to the nursing home and tried to rescue as many people as he could. He said, but do you know how hard it is to rescue people from a two-story building? Do you know how hard it is to bring people down a ladder? He said, if only the fire department had been here sooner. Later in the article, they revealed that One of the reasons the fire department did not arrive any quicker was because the night watchman on duty at the nursing home heard three separate fire alarms but did nothing about it. He heard three separate fire alarms and assumed it was a glitch in the system. It wasn't until he saw flames that he called the fire department. You see, there's a danger when hearing does not lead to doing And that's not just true in that nursing home. It's true in our lives as well when it comes to the Word of God. There's a danger that we will think we've done all that's necessary simply when we've heard the Bible or we've read the Bible. In fact, maybe some of you stopped going to church for a while in your life because you said, I grew up in church, I heard so many sermons, and I went to Sunday school and I heard the Sunday school lessons, but they didn't do me any good. And perhaps the problem was Not with the Bible, but with the fact that you never did anything with what you heard. Because I think sometimes we think we just get credit if we show up. You know, I'm I'm here. I'm I'm not really going to do anything with what I'm learning today, but I'm here. Surely God will give me credit for that. But the Bible teaches there's a danger when we divorce doing from hearing. Maybe some of you are here and you hear the word of God on a regular basis and you would even say, I believe this. And I believe this is God's word. And there again, you may run the danger of allowing your belief that this is God's word to lull you into believing you've done everything necessary, that you have made an intellectual assent that the scriptures are God's word for your life, and you even say amen once in a while during the sermons. 
Or on some sermons, you may say, oh, me, you know, especially when I tell jokes. Yeah. But even though you believe the Bible, is the Bible changing you? Here's a question for you. We are surrounded in a sea of Scripture, in a sea of sermons, in a sea of Bible studies. But have you been changed? And are you being changed by the Word of God? We are always in the presence of God's Word, but are we submitting ourselves to the power of God's Word? In fact, in this generation in American history and world history, Christians have more access to the Scriptures than at any other time in human history. We have multiple translations of the Bible in multiple languages. We have thousands of Christian radio stations and hundreds of Christian television stations. You can have access to the words of God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Thousands of books written every year. We have Christian Bible studies on apps and software. And you can come to our church and every Sunday we open up the scriptures and we encourage you to get into a life group where you study the Bible in smaller groups. We have informal Bible studies where people gather at their workplace at lunch or they gather at a Starbucks and they dig deeper into God's word. We have Christian support groups and ministries that are Bible-based. Celebrate Recovery, Grief Share, Divorce Care, Financial Peace University, all principles saturated with Scripture. We even have biblical counseling. If you're dealing with struggles in your life and you want to know what is God's will for your life. The problem is not our access to the words of God. The problem is often our acting on the words of God. That often we do not couple hearing with doing. And as a result, we put ourselves in danger. Maybe not physical danger, although sometimes perhaps if we make some bad life choices. But we put ourselves in danger and we suffer. Our marriages suffer because we don't apply what God is saying to us about what it means to be a godly husband or a godly wife. Our families suffer because we're not raising our families the way God would have us to. Our finances suffer. Our peace of mind suffers whenever we're not doing the word of God and we're facing the struggles of life. But here's the good news. God wants to bless you. And he says, I don't want you to just hear my word. I want you to do my word. And whenever you hear and do, you will be blessed. God wants you to apply the Bible to your life so he can bless your life. I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. And that doesn't mean I want to be selfish and just want all of my greeds met. I just mean I want to live a life that God is able to bless with his favor. I want God to be able to bless with his strength. I want God to be able to bless with his direction and with his encouragement. And I think you want that as well. You want God's blessing on your life. You want God's blessing on your doing. Well, then you're going to need to not only hear the word, you're going to need to do the word. Now, don't take my word for this. I want you to hear it from none other than James, the younger brother of Jesus. In the Bible, in the New Testament, we have a book we call the book of James. It's really a letter. It's a letter that James wrote to Jewish Christians who had been scattered throughout the Roman Empire because of persecution. And he wrote, among other reasons, to encourage them in the midst of their suffering. 
And he wants them to not only hear the word of God, but to do it, to live it out, even when it's not easy, even when it's not convenient, to live out the word of God, even when it's not popular, to live out the word of God, even when you don't see an immediate payoff. He's concerned that they are both hearers of the word and doers of the word. So today we're going to open up the Bible to James chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. And here James begins by saying in verse 19, know this. <laughs> he's, he's saying, can I have your attention? There's something you need to know. There's something I want you to settle it once and for all. I want you to understand something once and for all. And what does he want us to know? He's about to tell us. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. He's not putting himself over the people of God. He's putting himself among the people of God. And he said, I love you. And the reason I'm going to share this with you is because I want what's best for you. And when it says, my beloved brothers, really in the Greek, the word for brothers means of the same womb. So it means brothers and sisters. It means we're we're the family of God. So this message is not just for the men today. The message is for all of us who are followers of Jesus And what does James want us to know? He wants us to know the proper way to hear the word of God and to do the word of God. First of all, he talks about how we need to hear the word. We need to hear the word. Now, he has just told them in verse 18 that we've not read that they were born again spiritually into the family of God by the living word who was none other than Jesus Christ, whom they learned about through the written word, the scriptures. And we have this new life, and now we need to hear the written Word of God. And how are we to hear it? James gives us four ways to hear the Word of God. First of all, he says you ought to be ready to hear. He says, let every person be quick to hear. Let every person be quick to hear. We ought to be ready to hear it. We ought to be eager to hear it. The word for quick in the Greek language is where we get our English word tachometer. You've got a tachometer on the dashboard of your car, and it it registers velocity. And it's the same word James uses with velocity. You ought to listen and hear the word of God. You ought to be eager to hear it. Now, there's a lot in this life and in this world that you shouldn't be eager to hear. We shouldn't be eager to hear the heresies and vulgarities that are spewed about all over our world today. We ought to be slow to hear those things. But we ought to be quick to hear the Word of God. We ought to be quick in the mornings to open it up and to read God's Word. We ought to be quick to hear whenever we gather for church on Sunday mornings to listen to the Word of God. And I'm going to say something that's going to sound very self-centered. But I believe as your pastor, you ought to show up on Sunday mornings quick to hear the Word of God as it's preached by your pastor. I spend a lot, amen, you can give God a hand for that. (laughs) I spend a lot of time during the week in prayer and in study of God's Word saying, God, what do you want your people to hear? God, I don't want to come with my agenda. I don't want to preach from the book of opinions. God, I want to share the message from your heart to their heart. God, what do you want me to hear? And God, what's the best way for me to communicate that? And I can promise you this morning is the highlight of my week. I come eager. I come ready to share the Word of God. And just as you would not want a preacher who is reluctant to preach. No preacher wants a group that's reluctant to hear. Could you imagine if I got up this morning and said, 
<sighs> what are we going to talk about today? I don't know. Let me, let me just give me a minute. Y'all talk amongst yourselves. I'm, I was busy this week. I don't really know what we ought to talk about. You would fire me. Rightly so. And you would say, get, a, get somebody up there who's going to share God's word with me. And I need you to come on a Sunday morning ready. Not because of me, but because of the word. Be quick to hear. Every person, every single one of us, be quick to hear. But he also says a second way we hear the word. Not only should you be ready to hear, you should be reluctant to speak. Because he continues, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. This is not James telling us we should take a vow of silence and never speak in company with other people. No, the context here is you and the Word of God. What he's saying is, whenever you come to the Word of God, you ought to be eager to hear it, ready to hear it. But you ought to be reluctant to speak because so often, just as in everyday conversation, we're not really listening to the other person. We're just waiting for a chance to jump in and to put our words in. He says we can do the same thing when it comes to the Bible. Rather than really hearing what God is saying to us, we're ready to come back with our argument. We're ready to come back with our new teaching. We're ready to come back and share our opinion. And James says, no, 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 be slow to speak. Be slow. You ought to meditate on the Word of God. That's what the word meditate means. It means to just mull it over. And before you go off and say, oh, I've got something to share with somebody else, before you speak the Word to others, let it speak to you first. Let it, let it work in you and let it work on you. That's why my staff sometimes get frustrated with me, I know. We try to plan and prayerfully plan. In, the, in advance so that they can know where I'm going in the preaching and teaching so that they can uh, align the life group material and the messages and creative elements in the services. But sometimes an idea that feels good to me six months out doesn't feel good today. It's just not in me. And I can't preach to you what God has not first preached to me. I just share with you on Sunday morning the overflow of what God has been saying to me in my time is I've humbled myself before the Word and I've listened to God. Whenever I was um, first called as your pastor, I had the opportunity to go to Memphis, Tennessee for a week and I attended a, a workshop called The Essentials of Expository Preaching. It was led by a man, the, the late Dr. Stephen Olford. Dr. Olford was a wonderful man, born to missionary parents in South Africa, uh, I think he was Welsh descent, um, a missionary, an evangelist, a pastor, uh, just one of the greatest, godliest men I've ever met in my life. And in, later in his life, he just devoted his life into pouring everything he had into young pastors. And so I was among just 50 other pastors that had a chance to just be in a week-long workshop with Dr. Olford. On one particular night, he had just poured his heart out about the importance of the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the man of God as you share the Word of God. And man, that, that talk turned into a message where Dr. Olford just preached the Word of God about the anointing of the Spirit. And by the time it was all over, 50 ministers were on their faces before God in weeping and prayer, saying, God, we don't want to do this on our own strength. God, if you don't show up, it doesn't matter who else shows up. God, if it's not your power, we can't do this. And we truly 
had a God moment. But I'll always remember, at the end of that message, before we could stand up, Dr. Olford, who was about my height, he was probably in his late 70s, maybe 80 or so at the time, head full of gray hair, that awesome British voice, he bellowed out in that small room with 50 pastors, men, don't say a word, not a word. Don't speak to each other. When you get in your car, don't turn on the radio. When you get in the elevator at the hotel, don't speak to other people. When you go to your room, don't turn on the television. Open the word. Let the word speak to you before you speak to anyone else. And we left that place that night aware of the presence of God like few times in my life. I got in my car. I didn't turn on the radio. I drove back to my hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. I got into the elevator. People got on with me. Hello. I didn't say a word. I don't know if I was more scared of God or Dr. Olford if I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I just nodded. I got to my room and I opened up the Bible to that passage he had taught. And I just read it and read it and prayed and meditated. And it was one of the most powerful things I've ever done. I'm not saying to you this morning... When the service is over, don't speak to each other. Let there be silence in the church. I'm not saying that. But I am saying there's going to come a time when maybe you need to turn off the television. Maybe there's going to be a time you need to turn off iTunes or Spotify. There's going to be a time you need to say no to Netflix. There's going to be a time you say, I can't teach this until God has first taught me. And you need to just humble yourself before God and let him speak to you before you speak to someone else. Be ready to hear. Be reluctant to speak. And be restrained in anger. Be restrained in anger. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I sometimes use this passage in my premarital counseling because it's good for premarital counseling. But the context here is not really between a husband and a wife. The context is between you and God as you encounter God through his word. You ought to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You say, why would I get angry when I'm hearing the word of God? Oh, because sometimes... The problem is not that we don't understand what God says in his word. The problem is we fully well understand it and we don't like it. Amen? Sometimes God steps on our toes. Sometimes God points his finger at our favorite sin. Sometimes God meddles in our business and he shows us things that are wrong. And he doesn't do it because he hates us. He does it because he loves us. And he wants what's best for us. But sometimes our initial reaction is to throw up our defenses. We want to argue with the pastor. We slam our Bible shut. I can't believe he just said that. I didn't say it. I can't believe he's talking about this. It's in the Bible. I'm going to talk about it if it's in the Bible. I don't like that. Well, sometimes I've discovered that as a Christian, spiritual maturity is recognizing that when I don't like things that God says, my job is to build a bridge and get over it. And to love him and to live for him regardless. And he continues in verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The reason you ought to be slow to anger is because if you really want a life that is right, if you really want a life that is blessed by God, you're not going to find it in anger. We know that's true in marriage, don't we? Anybody, any guys besides me know what this is? I'm talking about? This is true. Never have you lost your temper 
and your marriage got better. Never. It doesn't work that way. We've all lived to regret losing our tempers at times, saying things we shouldn't have said, arguing about things we should never have argued about. We don't make things right by going wrong. And James says, you say you're a child of God, you want a life that God can bless, that's awesome, but you need to hear the word of God, and one of the things you need to do as you hear it is restrain your anger because God's going to point some things out in your life that's not going to be easy, popular, convenient, but he loves you. Don't fight him. Don't argue with him. Just take him at his word. So be ready to hear, be reluctant to speak, be restrained in anger, and be receptive in your attitude. Because he says in verse 21, be receptive in your attitude. He says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. James says whenever you hear the word of God, negatively, there are going to be some things you need to put off. You need to take off. You need to throw away. He's using the picture of taking off a worn, dirty garment that you wouldn't want to wear anymore. It's not befitting of you anymore. And so you strip it off and you throw it away. So you put away all filthiness. You're not going to like this, but in the Greek, that is sometimes referring to earwax. You say, ooh, I don't want to talk about earwax on a Sunday morning. Well, it's in the Bible, so we're going to talk about it. He says, sometimes you need to clean out the filthiness in your ears so that you can hear the word of God. Put away all filthiness. Anything in your life that is impure, anything in your life that you know is sinful, is going to keep you from hearing the word of God like you should. And sometimes one of the best things you can do is to say, God, I want to understand your word, but I don't need you to tell me this is wrong. I know it's wrong. I need to do away with it so that I can hear you more clearly. And rampant wickedness, that's those evil intentions or desires. Maybe you've not acted on them, but they're evil intentions. They're evil desires. He says, no, put that away from you. That's not going to help you. And positively, there's something you should let in. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive. Let in. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness. Receive with humility. God, I don't have all the answers, but I know you do. God, my life's not what it ought to be, but I know you want what's best for me. God, I know there are going to be things in your word that aren't easy for me to understand, but I want to understand. God, I know that there are going to be things in your word that are going to challenge my behavior. They're going to challenge my beliefs. But God, I humble myself before you, and I receive the implanted word. James is referring to a seed. Just like a seed is planted in fertile soil and it's cultivated and it's nurtured and it can therefore grow and bring forth fruit, God has planted his word in the life of every follower of Jesus. You ought to make sure it finds fertile soil in your heart, that it receives a welcome in your heart, that you receive it with eagerness. We have a neighbor who had a heart transplant soon after she and her husband were transferred to Jacksonville by the U.S. Navy. And I know when I visited her after her heart transplant, she said, one of the things that I'm on, she said, are very strong medications, anti-rejection medications to make sure that my body doesn't reject this new organ. And you know what? We need the Spirit of God at work in us so that we don't reject the implanted Word of God so that it can find fruitful fertile soil in our hearts. So receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
Now here, remember, James is not talking about salvation from sin, the penalty of sin. He's referring to salvation from the power of sin in your life. This is not about heaven or hell. That if you do the right things and you avoid the wrong things, then you'll get to heaven one day. No, remember, he's referring to people who have been born again by the living word of God. He's referring to brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. These are followers of Jesus. These are saved people. So what does he mean when he says the word that's planted in your heart when it's received and and welcomed will save your soul? The word is suke. In Greek, it means your life. He's just saying God wants to bless your life. God will save you from messing up your life if you'll follow him. God will save your life from all the hurt and the heartache that disobeying him is going to bring. And listen, if we had time, we could take this microphone, pass it around the room, and most of us, if we're honest, all of us would say, I've got regrets in my life, and every single regret can be traced back to where I deviated from God's will But not a single one of us would ever say, I regret doing God's will. No one ever regrets living for God. We only regret not living for God. We say, I knew what my parents taught me was true, but I rebelled against them and I made a mess of my life. I knew what that pastor was preaching was true, but I didn't want to hear it. I was so stubborn. And I just went my own way, thought I was different than everybody else. And I was above all the rules and that I could do that and not be harmed. And I was sadly mistaken. And James is saying, God wants to save your soul. He wants to bless your life. He wants to save you from the power of sin in your life. And the way he does that, among other ways, is through you hearing the word and doing the word. And that leads us to that second truth that James is writing about. He's writing to people not only about hearing the word, but doing the word. So hear the word, and number two, do the word. James mentions three ways we ought to hear the word of God in our lives if we want to be blessed by God. He says we ought to do it obediently, honestly, and continually. You ought to do the word obediently. He says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers. Be obedient. Actually put this stuff into practice. Learn the principles of God's word and apply them to your life. Don't just hear it. Do it. And do it not only obediently but honestly. Because if you're just hearing but you're never doing, you're deceiving yourself. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You're deceiving yourself if you think, I heard it. I even said, amen. I took a lot of notes. Whew, that was good. I'm done. James says, no, 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 you're not done. You're just fooling yourself if you think that's the end. The easiest thing you'll ever do is hear the word of God. Say amen to the word of God. Take notes on the word of God. Get a Bible college degree. The hardest thing you'll ever do is to do the word of God. Amen? That's why your pastor has always preached to you, the easiest thing I do is preach. The hardest thing I do is practice what I preach. I'm just being real, just being honest with you. And I think you know that's true as well. That it's easy to say amen in here. But putting it into practice out there is not always easy. And if you don't follow up hearing with doing, you're deceiving yourself. 
Look at verse 23. He gives us a humorous example of what it's like to hear but not to do. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Verse 24, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. James is picturing a man who goes to a mirror and he looks in the mirror and he sees on the surface what needs to be changed. That's why we look in a mirror, right? We look in a mirror to see what needs to be changed. But this guy, rather than doing anything about what he saw, he just goes about his own day forgetting what he saw and doing nothing about what he saw. Now, other people see what he has forgotten. He's like a 13-year-old boy. And the mother says, comb your hair, take a shower, brush your teeth. And sometimes they don't see it. They don't smell it. They don't notice it. But everybody else does. And it's not just 13-year-olds. Have you ever looked in a mirror? Anybody got a mirror? I just carry this one with me, you know. Just because I'm always just needing to check. <laughs> Somebody said, I need a bigger one. It's what I need. So how many of you have looked in a mirror this morning? Don't lie because we can tell if you're lying. Yeah. <laughs> so you looked in a mirror this morning, didn't you? And why did you look? Because you were wanting to see if there's something that needs to be addressed. Do you need to wash your face? Do you need to comb your hair? Do you need to brush your teeth? We'll just stop it right there. So, so you looked in a mirror. And, and some of you, you didn't just look at one mirror. You've looked at multiple mirrors before you even reached this room this morning. You looked at the bathroom mirror. You looked at the mirror in the bedroom. You looked at the mirror at the foyer before you left the door. You got in the car and adjusted the rearview mirror. Or you flipped down your visor mirror. You got to the church and you went straight to the restroom and looked in the mirror there. And how long do we typically look in a mirror? As long as it takes. Right? We look as long as it takes to do what needs to be done. And we will check a mirror multiple times a day. And James says, why don't we handle the Word of God that way? The Word of God is a mirror. It reflects back to you what's right. And it may at times reflect back to you what needs to be addressed in your life. And if you don't do anything about what you're seeing in that mirror, the mirror of God's Word, you're like that foolish man who looks but never does. And no one would think that's the right way to live. Everybody would say, what a foolish guy. He needs to grow up and learn to take some responsibility for himself. James says that's what you need to do as well when it comes to the mirror of God's Word. Look in it. God's going to point out some stuff in your life that's right. And you need to praise Him for it. And you need to rest in who you are in Jesus. And because he loves you, he loves you just as you are. He'll never love you any more. He'll never love you any less. But also because he loves you, he loves you too much to leave you that way. He's not going to be that so-called friend who won't say, hey, you, you got a little, little bit of collard green right there in your tooth. You need to do... A friend will let you do, go and, and not tell you? No, that's not my kind of friend. I was in Bolivia and had lunch with someone, and, 
and it had been raining, and so we were running through the rain, and I had a little hoodie, and so I put my hoodie on because I didn't have my umbrella, and when I got to the hotel restaurant, I took my hoodie off, and what she didn't tell me is when I put, took my hoodie off, my whole head of hair just starts sticking straight up on one side. So I'm just walking around the buffet, just eating my meal, having a conversation, and when I go back to my room and I look in the mirror, I could not believe what I saw. And I thought, why didn't you say that? Well, I just didn't know what to say. You just say, comb your hair. That's all you had to say. Hey, Ricky. It's not a kind of friend. God loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And sometimes God's going to say, hey, here's some great things in your life. Keep doing those things. Way to go. I'm so proud of you. Other times he's going to say, you see what you're doing here in this part of your life? You need to get that fixed. This part of your thought life is not pleasing to me. This part of your sex life is not pleasing to me. This part of the way you handle your finances is not pleasing to me. There's a better way. You're going to hurt yourself if you keep going down this road. He loves us so much. He wants to help us. Look at verse 25. We we, we do the word obediently and we do it honestly and we do it continually. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Now James uses a different verb, and it means to continually look, not just a passing glance, but to gaze into the perfect law of liberty. And perseveres. You hang in there. You don't just do the word when it's easy. You don't just apply the Bible when it's convenient. You don't just live by the principles of Scripture when it's popular. You do it continually, no matter what. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. God's going to come alongside of you. And with his own presence, he's going to bless you. With his own power, he's going to bless you. He wants to be a part of your life. And maybe you look at that and you say, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Law and liberty, those two things don't go together. If we're talking about the perfect law of liberty, the scriptures, then yes, they do. The commands of God lead to the freedom of God's people. It is the devil's lie who says, reject what your parents taught you. Reject what the Bible says. Reject what that preacher said. Real life is going your own way, doing your own thing, being your own God, letting no one tell you what to do. And that will ruin your life. True freedom comes when we humble ourselves before God. And we say, you're my creator. You're my heavenly father. You love me so much. You sacrificed your own son on a cross. And if you would do that for me, how could I ever question your goodness? And I don't always understand your word. I don't always understand your ways. It's not always going to be easy. I may be like these first century Christians James writing to where I'm being persecuted just for my faith in you, but I'm going to live for you because I've found true freedom is in you. True freedom is living for you. When is a locomotive train free? When it's run off the rails into a ditch? Or when it's running on the tracks it was designed to run on. And you were created by God and you were created for God. Jesus put it this way. A man who seeks to save his life will lose it. But a man who loses his life for me, who just dies to himself, 
he'll find real life. And every Christian in this room can say, yes, real life is in Jesus. Listen, here's the the one thing I want you to leave with today. Apply the Bible to your life so God can bless your life. Apply the Bible to your life so God can bless your life. And I'm taking into consideration that you understand what I mean. The Bible is properly studied, interpreted, and then applied. I know we can make the Bible say whatever we want it to say. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Word of God. Apply the Bible to your life so God can bless your life. Someone gave me, after the service today, they said, there's an acrostic. Maybe you'll remember this today. You just write maybe down in a column the word space, S-P-A-C-E, and then pets, P-E-T-S. And she said, whenever I read the Bible, I ask myself, space pets. (laughs) I said, what does that mean? So I wrote it down. Well, S stands for sin. Is there a sin I need to repent of? P stands for promise. Is there a promise I need to claim? A stands for attitude. Is there an attitude I need to reject or an attitude I need to adopt? Sin, promise, attitude. C stands for command. Is there a command here God wants me to obey? E stands for example. Is there an example that God wants me to follow? Sin, promise, attitude, command, example. And then pets, P-E-T-S. She said stood for prayer. Is there a prayer I need to pray based on what I've read? E stands for error. Is there an error I need to avoid? T stands for truth. Is there a truth I need to believe? And S stands for something for which to praise God. As I read the Bible... Is there a prayer I need to pray, error I need to avoid, truth I need to believe, or is there just something here for which I need to praise God? Space pets. Well, now I've remembered it. Maybe you will as well. Let that be your homework for this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for your word, that you love us so much that you've revealed yourself to us, and you've revealed your will for us through the scriptures. And we want to be ready to hear it, We want to be slow to speak and just meditate on your word. And we want to be slow to argue with you. But we want to be ready to receive it and let it be at home in our hearts. So, Father, for every follower of Jesus, may this be the day that they rededicate themselves to you, saying, God, I want to apply the Bible to my life so you can bless my life. So, Father, what is it that we should do now, having heard your word? What now? What do you want me to do? And Father, I pray that every time we study the scriptures, we'll ask you that question. God, what do you want me to do with what I've just heard? We'll praise you, God, for that. So may every follower of Jesus be renewed and rededicated in their heart to applying your word so you can bless their life. God, if there is someone in this room who's never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that right now they would come to believe in Christ who said, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Everyone who believes is saved. Everyone who does not believe is condemned already. So, Father, I pray that today men and women, boys and girls and teenagers will come to faith in Jesus Christ 
as their personal Lord and Savior. And it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.